0: Hi, and welcome to Lead a Horse to Water, the equine training and behaviour podcast. I'm your host, Trudy Dempsey. In this episode, I'm chatting to Gabriel Lencioni about his love of horses and his recent projects looking at pain assessment in horses. He recently graduated as a vet from the University of Sao Paulo, Brazil, where he took part in research groups on animal behavior and welfare and developed a project on automated pain assessment in horses. You can find links in the show notes. Gabriel is an IAABC certified horse behavior consultant, and he's a certified fear-free elite professional, dogs, cats and horses. And you can find his scientific dissemination project on Instagram about horse and dogs behavior again there's links in the show notes just a reminder to you that if you're listening to this when it first comes out you just about have time to sign up for my latest uh, understand horses course but only as an auditor all the participant places are taken on that course so on the 10th of Uh, September. This is new for us. We are having auditor places on our courses for £89. You get to have all the lecture materials, all the support documents. You get to be part of the forum and hang out with the people that are taking the course's participants. You can watch their video feedbacks and you can also watch our Zooms, uh, which take place during the course. You won't be at the Zooms, but you can watch the playbacks and you can ask general questions in the the forum as well it's I think incredible value and it's a good way for you to decide whether it's something you'd like to do as a participant in the future maybe or maybe you'd like to just take on training with me outside of a course in the future also, you might have just literally days to sign up for Understand Horses Live, which is the 3rd and 4th of September at Rittle University College. I'm so looking forward to presenting that with some other awesome, awesome individuals. It's going to be a blast. Uh, and I'm getting, sure I'm going to be podcasting while we're there. So I'll fill you in on everything that went on. But it's going to be really fantastic. I have also got coming up in October another run of my IAABC course where we look at the pain and discomfort ethogram and look at whether there's potential for there to be pain as well as behavior problems going on and how to look at the difference in those and to be sure that your horse is comfortable and that you're spotting everything that could be going on. So that could be one for you. You can find that uh, on the IABC Foundation. So that's Foundation.org website if you'd like to sign up for that. Anyway, enough about all that and on with the podcast. Let's get started. Hi, Gabriel, Um, can you tell us a little bit about how you got started with animals and in particular horses, because I know you're a a big horse fan.
1: Hello, thank you so much for the invitation. It's great to be here talking to you today. And well, about horses, it's actually hard for me to tell you how I got interested, because from when I remember, I was always interested in horses and always my toys since uh, I was a child were about horses and all that. And I was always interested, but since I live in a a busy city here, I'm from Sao Paulo in Brazil, and there are not lots of horses around. So I could usually have to go to the countryside to ride them and to be with, with them and things like that. So I didn't have this access to them daily and later on i started to take some show jumping classes so i could spend more time with them while i was here in the city and all and it's just a passion that i kept with me throughout my whole life basically
0: wow is that why you decided you wanted to be a vet or was that something you know entirely unrelated
1: oh i always uh, enjoyed Uh, horses and also mostly dogs but all animals and and this kind of stuff and I was always interested by them so I kind of it was a natural uh, way to follow to becoming a vet. I was very interested in the biological sciences in general well when I was at school and all so it was kind of a, a natural path to go. Yeah
0: makes sense. I wanted to be a vet. I think most girls that had horses when they were in their teens probably wanted to be a vet until I realized, yeah, it wasn't quite as glamorous as I thought it was, but yeah, good on you. Um, so we've met through really through Understand Horses and you've done a course of mine and you've been over in the UK for a few months uh, this year, which so it's been awesome to actually meet up in person although you're back in Brazil now. And I know how important have we spoke to you, you feel behavior is for vets. But I've spoken to vets also and some on the podcast who certainly in the UK have told me that there's very little emphasis on behavior and understanding it during you know, the, the course to become a, a vet. Obviously, there's loads to learn. And I'd quite like to, that, you know, you know, a lot of those other things as well. The medical things, the biological biolog- things are super important. But, you know, how much did you learn? I, I know you've done a lot on your own, but, you know, in terms of actually the, the vet course, how much did you get to do about horse behavior?
1: Yeah, unfortunately, here in Brazil, as the, the same in the, the UK, we don't have much of behavior in general in the in the course. Uh, there are some universities and... Um, kind of lucky that my university has a professor on animal welfare and all and he has a discipline on that but he doesn't have enough time to go through all the species and all the details about it and all so it's definitely not enough for what we should know and I definitely agree with you that vets should know more about this because of course learning about all the rest about surgery and all of that it's obviously important, but if we don't know about behavior, then we're just risking ourselves to getting involved in accidents and even to not knowing how to treat the animals, because usually you, vets don't know really about the behavior of that animal and to recognize what is going on with them and how to do deal with that and all of this.
0: Yeah, I think it's difficult. Susan and I could probably tell some, yeah, awful tales of, of how vets. It's not intentional. It's they're, they're very traditional guys, and they've grown up with you know horses being described in a certain way, all those behavioural sort of labels that we hate. Um, but when you find a good one, it's, you know, it's amazing the difference it can make for the person that I'm working with as a be- behaviourist, for sure. Do you, you know, where is your career going to take you? Because we're going to talk a little bit later uh, about the, you know, the development of the uh, machine vision algorithm that you you did. Um, but yeah, you know, where do you see? Are you going to look at behavior as you go through your career? Are you going to Are you going to specialize in horses? Is that something that we will expect to see in future?
1: Yeah, um, I'm planning on doing uh, this research related area too, as you said. That we're going to talk a bit more, uh, but I'm obviously interested too in the behavior. I think it's an area that really got me passionate about it. So trying to, to deal with behavior, obviously horses, but I'm trying to also work with dogs too, because they're the two species that I had more contact with, and really to try to, to help with these uh, points that you said. For example, that I have seen throughout my experiences in vet school and all, lots of very disturbing circumstances of horses suffering and vets getting into accidents and all of that and it was very painful for me to watch all of that but I of course noticed that everyone involved was trying to do their best they just simply don't have the tools to to work better in that situation and all so it's something that I would be very happy to to contribute with this and try to Show people that we can do it in different ways, and also to provide these tools and show to people that we can try to do it in some other way.
0: Yeah, I think it's great. I've been doing some work, uh, and I'm going to do some work going forwards with the Brook, and you know some of their vets are working in probably you know, the worst conditions that you can imagine because those equines are working equines, uh, donkeys and mules as well. And sometimes they might be tethered for long periods of time. And you know, to think that vets in those countries are trying to learn these techniques that you've learned to, to pass your IABC, and you're fear free and things you know I, I I really am amazed that there are people out there that really are sacrificing maybe a traditional career that might bring things with it but for the for the love of horses and the welfare of horses so I think it's amazing um do you do you plan to use your uh, IABC certification are you going to get out there and do some behavior help for, for people with horses or is it just sort of a you know I'm a vet I can do this as well because I'd love to see you bringing people together in Brazil to do that it would be amazing
1: oh yes I, I completely hope so because it was really interesting after I, I got my certification for my ABC I, I think I didn't know anyone around here in Brazil that has had it and now more people got interested and answer, came to me to, to chat about it and to ask about the process and all of that. So I found it really nice and I, I'm hoping uh, that more people become members and also get certified on that because then obviously we would have more uh, people working on this and being able to help more and more animals around it.
0: Yeah, I think I think that would be amazing. Anywhere around the world, every bit helps. Um, one of the we'll get on and talk about your your study um, that, that uh, you had published last year very shortly, but um, one question, and I'm sure Suze gets asked this all the time as well, is yeah, you know, and we ask ourselves, because Suze has got Harry and we never know with Harry whether it's pain or is it just behaviour? Yep. You know, Often we'll ask a vet or we'll ask the client if they'll have the vet back and the vet will say no it's okay you know it's a cob it's a chunky horse it's got a leg at each corner. How likely is it in you know I know this is really hard not to give you a case study and ask you to to talk about a specific case but you know how likely is it that a vet is going to go in in one one sort of meeting with a horse and say yeah okay I think it's got sore hocks let's inject them and it's all done and dusted. Is that, yeah, ha- does that can that happen?
1: <laughs> yeah, it's like a, a huge challenge too. I think that uh, vets have the the same problem that we see in the human medicine too, of getting very specialized in something and then they kind of lose the whole view of the animal and all the processes that are happening. So this can can be hard to deal with, and especially trying to assess if there is there could be anything else happening, if the animal could be in pain or even some memory of past pain that could be cured or something like that. But there's still this. I think that it's common for us to see even with even with us, you know, like sometimes we have some pain that it wouldn't appear on any exam, but we know that it is there. And sometimes when we are doing some exercise or something, even though we are already better from that injury, we will still kind of, even without knowing it, we are going to try and not put that much strength on that limb, for example, or something. Yeah. So,
0: so your body kind of compensates for having the injury, and even when the injury is gone it yeah. can it can still be carrying on yeah and but it's very hard for clients i think to understand when to say because i mean i know susan i've talked about this a lot you have a client that says oh no the vet says he's fine and you look at this horse on three legs literally you know and it can't trot a circle and you're like oh. and it, your heart absolutely sinks it's really really difficult to know where you're going to go with that sort of thing um and you know it's encouraging to hear vets talking more about the fact now that you know there could be so many things, so many pathologies going on that you don't really, you can't always go in and say, yep, solved, that's it, we've got it. I mean, of course yeah, that can I that agree. can happen. you can't, you know, but it's not it's not always the case. Um, yeah, and
1: I, I guess it's something that it's improving actually nowadays because initially, pain was being treated only as that physical pain that we could see in the naked eye very easily and all. And nowadays, I think there is a movement of paying more attention to the animal and understanding that pain has these emotional aspects too. And that it could be some very small things, but that in in summing up all of them can make a big difference.
0: Yeah, I think that's massive. I'm doing my Ethergram course at the moment at the IABC. And I think one of the things that's really important, everyone always asks, I need to know, is it pain or is it behavioural? I wish I wish I had that crystal ball that just said yes it's definitely behavioral or no it's absolutely physical and you know i uh, through the course I offer lots of case studies that that really support that because you know one that I talked about last week uh, a lovely client uh, Annie hi if you're listening uh, her horse the only reason we knew he was in pain was that we noticed that he was getting sleep deprived he was falling over and bashing his front legs we wouldn't have known we would not have had a clip and you know a pain trial and you know scintigraphy afterwards found out that he had an ancient injury in his femur which had healed in such a way that the soft tissue when he lay down was just uncomfortable he'd obviously been managing most of his life like or most since the injury most of his time like it but most people think that you know behavior around pain is violent and the horse bucks and rears and you know bombs off with you but it isn't always it really depends on the horse doesn't it you know
1: yeah for sure the, yeah. the perception of pain will be different between all the, the individuals too. So yeah. how they yeah. deal with it will be different. And I think that as a general rule for what you were saying, like for just accepting that the vet said that the horse has, doesn't have any pain or something like that, I think that as a general rule for owners, it's always good to to put pain there in the... In, all that you're thinking, for example, if even if you don't think that the animal has any kind of pain and all, just always ask yourself about it other than just accepting that, oh, he's not in pain and he's just trying to to work you out or something like that, trying to, yeah. you know, just don't do what you're asking for.
0: Yeah, it's, it's difficult, isn't it? It's like Suze has got one of hers, Harry, where it's intermittent because of what's wrong with him. It's not, every day is not the same, is it, Sue? So, you know, I think that's a a really, really hard one if you've got a Harry in your life. and every day is different, and I think owners find that very, very difficult to know whether to say, "Oh my goodness, the, my horse has got something wrong with it," or "Yeah, he's an absolute idiot because he hates the wind." Well, maybe he hates the cold. Maybe he hates the rain because of you know something that he's got. So yeah, I, th- I think it's it's a very, very difficult one. But we need to just keep questioning, don't we? That's I think at the end of the the day, we have to keep questioning. So. I'm absolutely fascinated by your study, and when I first read it, um, I was like, "This would be so good because you can you can put a camera on a horse and you can tell whether it's in pain." Now, to be fair, it's you use one specific set of markers, the horse grimace scale. I'll put all this, I'll put all the links to your studies and everything in the um, show notes for the podcast. But I was absolutely fascinated because I don't know why, but I'd never even thought of getting a machine to work it out. And the numbers were pretty good, weren't they? Can you give us a, just a little taster of uh, what your study that was published last year was looking at?
1: So we basically we got the, the Horse grimy Scale, which is an already validated grimace Scale to assess pain in horses through their facial expressions. And we developed a system to make these evaluation automatically. So basically the system would, you could put a camera, for example, in the horse's box and it would tell you whether the horse was in pain or not. And the same as the horse grimace scale, we divided into detecting absence of pain, moderated pain or present pain. And we had to adapt some of the parameters for the the Horse Creamy Scale too, And then we did the training of a convolutional neural network, which is a machine learning algorithm to assess this. And the results were really good. It reached about 80% of accuracy and, it's something that it was really nice. There are still some improvements that would need to be done if we needed to apply this in real life because it worked with our data set and all, but the biggest challenge with machine learning, it's basically to have enough images for the system to be very strong. And we have the systems that we have for detecting emotions in humans and all, they have thousands and thousands of images. And we unfortunately don't have this much images of animals, especially that have been validated to say if they were in pain or not. And this kind of stuff, especially because we don't have a good standard for animals as in humans. People just ask if (laughs) they are in pain or not. Yeah.
0: Yeah. That's a difficult one. And just so people know, you didn't put these horses under any duress, to create pain. They were horses that were being castrated as part of the, that, that was happening anyway. You just took control of that situation and looked at them through that process some days before yeah. and then afterwards. And they got the same pain relief that they would have done ordinarily.
1: Um, so yeah, exactly. Just, yeah. We, yeah. we got all the uh, the horses were already going to to be castrated. And we did the same protocol to all of them. So we could try to make the the same evaluation on pain. And we also captured images from them before and after castration, days before and days after too, because we wanted to have this data set with images from when they were not in pain and also when they were in pain. And it's also interesting because even using all the analgesics and all that people regularly use, we managed to get some expressions of pain. So it's interesting too that it's something that has been increasing in, in the vets too to pay more attention to these protocols and all and try to to build even more attention to the analgesics and all. Yeah,
0: it's amazing. So you saw those three different scenarios where there was no present some pain present but then some obvious really sort of stronger markers for the pain and was there an area that particularly manifested pain markers like were the ears particularly expressive or the eyes what was there anything that came out of the data in that respect Gabriel it it
1: was interesting that the the results were a little bit different because, for example, the the eyes were uh, a better indicator. But there's also the difference that our data set for images of the eye was uh, smaller than the data set for the ears, for example. So we cannot say, like, confirm if it was due to the smaller data set or due to really it is a better indicator or not. So basically to be sure of that, we would have to do another study and try to have a balanced data set with the same amount of images for the ears and the same amount of images for the eyes, for example. But yeah, yeah it's something difficult. And depending on the position that the animal is to, I think the first challenge for anyone wanting to do this uh, automated methods for animals and all is basically to trying to learn how you're going to set up the cameras and all of that. Because you, of course, don't want the horse to eat the camera, which wouldn't be that nice. But you still need to get a nice image and this kind of stuff. So, for example, getting the image from the mouth and nostrils sometimes wasn't as easy because they would be too far away or something Mm. like that. So it's difficult to, depending on your setup.
0: Yeah, no, that makes sense. I was thinking about it in terms of the, the ethergram that we look at in the course, which is full of so many different behaviors, which if you could get them on CCTV and fast forward it, you know, and get a machine to look at it rather than a human, because what we do at the moment is look through hours of video. In fact, with another uh, client at the moment, uh, the lovely Kelly, her horse is also having sleep deprivation problems and um, with a veterinary behaviorist we've been looking at you know what he does when there's nobody around because that's certainly something which I, I believe can affect the result that the, the horse can act differently if the, if it's owner or if there are people around um, and yeah it's painstaking because you've got to look through all the video and see if there's anything you know and you sort of look away for two seconds and you've missed the, the nugget um, so having machines involved would be Incredible, but a massive amount of work to set it up. I imagine so. Was a lot of the work really was actually in setting up the the machine end of it, the the, the technology, rather than the actual study itself.
1: Yes, it was. There are uh, different uh, systems that we could use when we talk about artificial intelligence and all of that, but basically for this system that we created. It learns by a, a supervised learning is what we call. So basically, uh, I was evaluating these images using the Horse Greymes scale, and I told the system what they were, and then the system learned kind of by comparison between all of them, and then tried to apply it by itself. So all this process of getting the frames out of the videos and then getting selecting only the frames that had the, the right side of the the face of the horse, so we could assess pain, and then actually assessing pain on, we use about 3,000 images too, so I had to assess all of them one by one, and this was definitely what took longer through the whole process.
0: Yeah, that makes Uh, sense, yeah, and so would you tell the computer when it was wrong, so if it said this is no pain, and you could see that it it fulfilled the markers of the Grimace scale. Would you correct it? Is that, did it carry on learning or was that it?
1: Uh, actually, for this system, we did uh, the images were not live. So we, right. I had already assessed all the images, but okay. I, so only, I, right. I only told the system what part of them was. So okay. when okay. the system tried to predict what they were, I already had assessed it previously, so okay. the system would already know if it
0: so, yeah it was knew mistaken if it, knew or it was that. wrong. It got a slap on the wrist, and it knew for the next time that that was one that it yeah, yeah it, exactly looked at it differently. Oh, I'm absolutely fascinated. So uh, also um, this year, you've also collaborated on another project, which was a little bit of news for me, um, but because I like having a little dig, and that one I found fascinating as well because that's looked at all animals. It's more of a survey of the different computer-based recognition programs that are out there. And, you know, I was interested that, for instance, if you've got a mouse sitting in a well-lit box, you're going to get a really high percentage of accuracy. And then, you know, as you move down the scale to things like sheep and horses, it's going to be, you know, slightly more difficult. So what what did you find when you reviewed the literature that was all out there? Are there some great systems out there? Do we need to to keep, you know, looking and keep working on these systems?
1: Yeah, it was a very interesting experience. And basically, there are more and more uh, research being made in this area. Every day, basically, if you look up, you will find something new, which is really nice. And we still need lots of it to to come up. So basically we have, first of all, lots of different methods that we could be using. So for example, this method that I used, it was a computer vision system and it kind of looks through the image and tries to make their predictions. But there are also uh, systems that could be tracking the movement of the animal Uh, or tracking small movements of the eye or something like that. So basically, you have more than one uh, method of artificial intelligence that we could be using. Some of them work in this way of we humans telling the system what it is, or others are basically the system trying to predict by itself and really learning on its own. So it's really interesting that we have lots of tools to use and see what works best or maybe even work together, which I think it's also really nice for what you said, like in behavioral uh, science and all of that, we have hours and hours of videos and it's impossible for the researchers to keep up with it and use all the the information that's around there. So for some some things, the, the artificial intelligence could actually help us with this too to try to show us new parameters that we have never been able to validate or even to help with these evaluations. So we don't have to really pay attention to every second of that video and all that. So there are different tools. And for what you you said too, I think it's amazing like seeing the difference from all the different species. So basically, Horses, for example, are really interesting in the facial expressions because they are one of the species that has more facial expressions, really. They have more muscles and all of that, which is really nice. But I think there's this difficulty to kind of to put together what the behavior of each species is and all of that. And also something that I really liked of this study was that we managed to to talk about not only pain, but also other affective states, which I, I hope people are looking more into.
0: Yeah, can we just explain to people effective states, because I know that all my neuroscience people will be going, yes, yes, I know what effective states are. In fact, I oh, probably a year or so ago um, took part in a study, um, a blind study, to talk about whether you know, effective states were a thing and whether behaviorists could recognize them. But yeah, but for just an easy you know, explanation of what effective states are for people that might not know.
1: Okay, yeah. So it's a very new topic too, especially in in the scientific world. I think for many, many years, it wasn't very much accepted as a, a science when we were talking about emotions and all of that in other animals. And it's really nice basically putting not only pain to what we're talking, not, not only pain, but also other affective states, which would be, for example, seeing if the animal has uh, what kind of emotions the animal is dealing, basically. So if it has a a positive valence or not, and there are also different definitions of that, depending on the the definition that you want to, to follow. For example, you have the dimensional, which tries to differentiate, basically, if it's Uh, a positive valence or not, and about the arousal too or not, but also the definitions from PANCEP, for example, or other uh, researchers on the area, but it's something that it's very new and discussed, but it's interesting that we could say that exists, and we are still looking for the answers basically on how it works.
0: Yeah, that's awesome. And you mentioned up there, who obviously, for some reason, part of the horse world get, got very excited about his work. Obviously, he's not with us anymore, but um, his work goes on and, and people are still really, really interested in it. Uh, so, yeah, if you're if, if anyone's interested in looking at that side of effective neuroscience. Uh, uh, yeah Panksef, it's definitely the place to go and and have a look at things um, but there's lots of other people as well and i think once you accept one you kind of think oh that's it i've i've found the answer but as you've so well put yeah you know, we're still looking they, these things are not even for humans there, there is great debate as to quite yeah how, exactly how this all works but you know the emotions, yeah, that's perfect yeah yeah, yeah the, we know emotions are there. Um, but it's so it's considering that it's not just pain for the horse, but there is an emotion that goes with that pain as well, and maybe also emotions that would go with behavior as well. I, I, it's oh, it's absolutely fascinating.
1: Yeah, it is, and I, I love that you you said about in, this is not something confirmed in humans too. So it's basically trying to answer all of that and we know that animals have all the necessary substrates to to have all of this too so it's really interesting that people are looking uh more willingly to accept these ideas too and all and let's see what we find out in about the answers about that but it's really nice that people are kind of accepting it better and that we can look for these answers now and try to see the animals differently
0: yeah it, it makes such a difference to an animal's life that people think about the emotion that goes with it and not just the fact that it's an animal and it can deal with it I fi- i've always found that really a strange way of as people looking at, at animals but yeah it's getting a yeah. lot better now um yeah and, so- and i
1: i think that even uh if we cannot confirm anything or something like that but it's better that we, since we are in doubt of some of those topics, it's better that we think and treat them in a way as they could feel exactly the same as we do. And then even if in the future we end up being wrong, at least we treated them in the best way we could. So I think it's a good way to try to deal with this while we don't have the answers.
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um I, I'm kind of in my head I can see a time when the machines will evaluate a video and be able to say you look at one minute three seconds and you know 23 hours and two seconds that something happened and then you know we we pull that apart and the machine looks at it again and says yes that this happened that happened I mean it would just be so so much easier for, for people to understand what's going on with their horses but yeah it's a, a long way to go but definitely those things are there and the potential for them it's a very exciting time for you to have just become a vet I think it's it's just fascinating I, I absolutely love it Suze do you want to ask Gabriel anything before we round up um have you got any burning vet questions that we need to ask him No, no. (laughs) This is very unusual for Suze to be so quiet, but she is here, I promise. I am here. I am here. here. I've had to be on mute because my dogs are creating. I don't know if you can hear them. Oh God, that is the absolute bane of any behaviourist life because you're supposed to have perfect animals. It's not meant to happen to us. Um, mine aren't here, they're downstairs, so they are being super quiet, yeah, because they can't even be heard. Uh, and you and Gabriel have been doing a little bit of um, dog training together, haven't you? We have, yes, and I, I stood him up last time because I forgot. <gasps> so um, <laughs> I need to apologize publicly and we will get back to it.
1: <laughs> no, not at all. Yeah, it, it has been amazing. Uh, I've bothered Sus a lot with the training and I decided not only to, to train other dogs and all but also to stop being lazy and train my own dogs which is something that we usually <laughs> don't do it as as much as we should yeah and yeah. it's been really nice and Sue just gives some amazing ideas
0: oh thank you she's good she's very good um and I think that's that's typical of all of us that we haven't got time for our own and really that's the most fun um for, for me anyway i love doing that bit. <laughs> uh, but so to, in the interest of keeping this not too long because uh, I, I am trying really hard although seuss will tell you i've not been that good at it yet um, to make them not too long because we can have you back again another time hopefully uh, do you have any advice if you were talking to young you, maybe you're 14 and you're thinking, I really want to be a vet, I want to do horses. Yeah, what would you advise them? Would you say, go out and do some behavior stuff on your own, get yourself a dog and play dogs and see how it works or get yourself a mouse or, yeah, what? do you have any great advice either for young vets or maybe young people who are thinking they'd love to get into behavior?
1: Well, I think my first advice would be for the person to take your course, (laughs) 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 because basically,
0: reading will get you absolutely (laughs) everywhere.
1: (laughs) (laughs) No, but uh, really, it's something really important. I just cannot see any vet uh, without knowing about behavior, as we said earlier, and I think it's really important for being able to give a better care for the animal and even to keep you safer. So really, I don't care what uh, response do you prefer, like if people want to be safer or if you really care about the animals, I think everyone cares about them. So just try and look for all these tools that we have and I'm sure that it will be better for all of them. And about your course is also true that, <laughs> that it was amazing. And it was uh, a big change for me because I always tried to to learn more about behavior on my own. So I basically read lots of books and watched talks about it and all, but I really loved the way that Trudy puts everything together in a very ethical way and all of that. So I found really nice. And I think that's, re- that's it like really try and learn whatever you can. So if you don't have any animal, go and just watch animals and just spend some time with horses or dogs or fishes or whatever you can and have.
0: Yeah, yeah. that's great advice because just knowing what an animal does on a daily basis is really helpful to understanding behavior i think we want it to be all the science stuff we want it to be the geeky stuff and to understand how you know all the antecedent behavior and consequence stuff all fits together but actually one of the most important things is actually being with animals and understanding where they're coming from you know what their ethology is and, and yeah by bio- the bit about their biology i mean we don't expect uh, non-vets to know lots about the biology but you know it's also interesting to know a little bit about all that side of things as well yeah
1: exactly and it's so important what you said about like really trying to understand the the motivation of why the animal is doing that is usually we just go for the easy answers and they're not always right basically almost never right so it's great to see why they're doing and try to see from the animal's perspective, I think it will lead you to to great places.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I'm just thinking, actually, I didn't sort of warn you on this one, but I'm thinking that that what you said about vets keeping safe, that's a really nice way in for people who are behaviorists, because I find it really hard sometimes, not now, you know, I'm, I'm old and I don't care and I'll talk to anyone. But, you know, when I was younger, if I had to approach a vet or a yard owner or somebody that was, you know, sort of in authority, I would feel awkward, but you can almost sell yourself as a behavior consultant in that I can, to a vet, you know, I can help you keep yourself safe. And if you deal with people like me, we'll help you and we'll help your owners. And it's like selling that package, isn't it?
1: Yeah, exactly. And I think that people are usually, you uh... Kind of afraid when we talk about that because they think that it will take too long for you to do it in a more uh thoughtful way and all of that but that's not true and it's actually you can do it in a very quick way and calmer but i think that there's lots of psychological things involved and maybe the the perception of time is different when people are trying to just do everything in a rush and using force and all of that so it's, it's nice that we can do it quickly and there are tools. So basically for young vets, as you said, if you are seeing something that you don't find nice, there is probably a better way of doing it. So just don't accept what people can, can be saying to you uh, that that's the only method because it's never the only one and yeah. you, can, yeah. you just need to find the right tools.
0: That's absolutely brilliant advice. I love it. Um, so, I know that you are massive on social media. I mean, I don't know anyone else that gets as many likes and shares and you, you post fantastic stuff. I'm very bad at it. So when I do see it, I'm always you know, interested to see what you're posting. Uh, we'll make sure everybody can have access to those links uh, in the show notes. Uh, but you know, where would you say you post your most stuff? You, you seem to be quite Instagram based, I'm going to say.
1: Oh, th- thanks so much, Drew. Yeah, it's um, uh, I yeah most of it I put in on on Instagram, and I have been trying to put it in in Portuguese, but also in English, so I can chat to to everyone basically. And yeah, I think it's Instagram is the the easiest place, and it's really nice. It's something that, as you said, it's difficult and takes time because I always want to put some things that are validated there and putting. Uh, reliable information and also things that are useful. So it's it's great to have this feedback.
0: Yeah, no, it's it, it's amazing, and I think as well because there are a lot of you know. Younger women in the industry and and older women like me, but there are very few younger or, or any men at all. There, do you have you got vets who's that are behaviourally minded? I don't. I it's all it's all ladies in the UK as far as I'm aware. Obviously Dan Mills was horse, but I think you spent some time with him, didn't you? And As far as I'm aware, he doesn't do horses now. Is it just small
1: animals that, uh, yeah, by what I I talked to him, he's working basically with small animals now. Mm. But yeah, this is really interesting, and I think that in Brazil, it's probably the same. More, most people that I know around here that are interested in positive reinforcement and all are women. So yeah, it's something yeah, it's that crazy. we had to
0: change. Too, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's and it's so nice. I mean, at the conquest we had you and Monty, who's one of their staff members, and it's just so nice to see a mixed group because it's so unusual. You know, uh, I think yeah. we'd stop ribbing you by then. Uh, we spent the whole weekend in Norfolk teasing you about being the only <laughs> bloke. Uh, but yeah, I think our, we we got over it by then. But it is. I mean, it's just so unusual and it's so nice. So keep doing it. Keep keep getting the world interested on uh, instagram because it definitely changes minds and we need role models like you out there who know your stuff but you also posting great stuff as well uh, backing it up with the science so it's amazing Um, so thank you so much for joining us it's been absolutely brilliant there's loads more things i'd love to ask you about but they'll have to wait for another one um, because you know (laughs) I'm trying to keep them to sort of 40 minutes ish at the moment so fingers crossed that's going to be perfect timing wise um, and so thank you very much and we look forward to everything you do in the future and hearing more and i'll put both of those studies well one's a study and one is um, like a, a comparison a survey of, of the different uh, computer-based recognitions so we'll we'll i'll link those because for those who like study they're definitely worth having a look at um, so that's
1: cool. Yeah, perfect. Thank you so much. Pretty, it was amazing to, to be talking with you to here today and Suze too. And it's really nice because usually I'm listening to the, the podcast and kind of talking to answering you on my own, but no, <laughs> I'm actually answering you. So it's oh, really it's,
0: great to be here. It's really cool. So and um, it's, it's been fantastic. And thanks, Susan. sorry the dogs were creating. Uh, it kept the swear words away, didn't it? So yes it's always better if we don't have too many of sus i don't know i think people like it you know uh okay bye everyone see you again soon thank you so much for listening i hope you enjoyed it as much as i always enjoy recording the podcast it's great to meet people and to have those in-depth conversations but it's also fantastic to know that it's free and that you're getting to listen to it Please support me and the podcast and let me keep it free by sharing it with your friends. That'd be really helpful for me. If you want to go that next to that next stage, please come and join us at coffee.com forward slash leader horse to water. That's coffee ko com forward slash one word leader horse to water. Uh, there you will enter the private world of my training and you will get to see videos of my clients training and my own training and lots of inside information that you won't get anywhere else I don't tend to write much anymore on Facebook and Instagram uh, because a lot of the information that I have I think is quite valuable so I want to give it to people that will appreciate it so if you'd like to come and join us please do for those of you who are already supporting me I can't thank you enough I really appreciate it there are lots of freebies if you're on there and just being in a world of training and like-minded people is I think an awesome thing anyway until next time happy training and see you soon